0: this is the on the banks podcast follow us on twitter at otb
1: underscore sb nation now here's your host lance glenn hello everyone i am of course your host lance glenn and this is episode 44 of the on the banks podcast our week one rutgers football preview you can follow me on twitter at lance underscore g11 and of course you can follow on the banks on twitter as well at otb underscore SB Nation. There are many ways to listen to this episode and every episode of the On The Banks podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcast and Stitcher, just search On The Banks Podcast, and of course you can find all of our podcasts and so much more content by going to onthebanks.com. You know, I've mentioned for all 43 episodes before this one that you can find us on SoundCloud, and that is true with this episode and all the ones previous. But this will be the last episode that will be released on SoundCloud. We are not doing SoundCloud anymore after this one. We at On The Banks are joining the SB Nation podcast network and are very excited to be doing so. Now, don't worry, this episode, all our previous ones, and all new episodes going forward will still be available through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and of course at OnTheBanks.com. And stay tuned because we will be announcing some new ways to listen to the podcast in the upcoming weeks. We have made it to football season only two days away as Rutgers gets ready to hit the field for the 2019 season as they take on the UMass Minutemen at SHI Field. Joining me today on the podcast to break down both teams are the guys who will be calling all the action for the two schools, the voice of Rutgers football, Chris Carlin, and the voice of UMass football, Jay Burnham. Look, last year for Rutgers football was a struggle. There's no doubt about that. But with a new season, I think, comes the time to put those memories of 2018 behind us and once again become optimistic. You know, at least cautiously optimistic. Every team starts out 0-0, and and every year there seems to be surprises that we didn't see coming throughout college football. Sure, there is obviously uncertainty on this team, but with UMass coming to town on Friday... Rutgers has the opportunity to erase the sour taste of last year and start this 2019 football season on a positive note. It certainly won't be easy. You know, UMass presents many challenges, specifically on offense, which you'll hear about uh, from Jay later in the podcast. But what Rutgers has in two days is the beginning of an opportunity. It's an opportunity to really surprise some people this year, and an opportunity, most importantly, to get this program back on track as year four under Chris Ash soon gets underway. Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. You can hear him on WFAN every day from 1 to 3 p.m. on CMB, Carlin, Maggie, and Bart. And of course, he is the voice of Rutgers football. I am now pleased to be joined by Chris Carlin. Chris, as always, thanks for coming on again and giving me some time on the podcast. Happy to do it, Lance. How are you? I'm good. You know what I am? I'm excited and I'm optimistic, I guess, for the start of this new season with, you know, game day really only a couple days away. So Chris, it's no secret that Rutgers obviously took a step back in year three under Chris Ash going one and 11, but game one of the new season any year brings with it a sense of optimism. John McNulty returns as offensive coordinator, a really strong group of running backs, young playmakers on both sides of the ball are back what has you most optimistic about this new season? About this new season, as Chris Ash and company try to get back on track in year number four.
2: You know, I think depth. Depth is a big word, and it's something that um, we don't focus enough on. I think, you know, um, you can have great players at, at positions. You can have you can have very good players at positions, but I think once you re- once you have depth, in other words, guys who can come in get the job done. Uh, if somebody's hurt. You need to get some fresh legs in there. You know, I think that's something that we're seeing right now that that's been built back up. Um, and I think that, you know, Lance has me feeling uh, more optimistic this year because I, I do think that um, it makes a huge difference, especially at the line of scrimmage. And I do think they have better depth at the line of scrimmage than they have in a couple of years.
1: So I mentioned John McNulty returning. Finally, some consistency at the offensive coordinated position on staff after what was, I think, about a decade at least of turnover year after year. In your mind, though, how important is this continuity as the offense looks to progress and improve, not only at quarterback, but at receiver, and, of course, on the offensive line as well?
2: Yeah, I think it's important because of a couple of things, right? We always talk about well, it's so important for the players to be in the same system and, and to know it again for the, for the following year. And it's something that they haven't had for a while. Well, I would also say that on the flip side, it gives the offensive coordinator in, in John McDulty the chance to know his personnel better and to have a better sense about where you could put them in situations to be successful. And I think that's uh, incredibly important and probably part of it that doesn't get looked at enough You know, John oversaw one of the best uh, eras uh, in this program's history uh, when it comes to offense. He knows offense. He knows quarterbacks. Um, I think John is a guy that is continually getting these guys better uh, on the offensive side and is is an excellent play caller. And I think John is, you know, if you're going to be able to put yourself in a situation to score points, uh, I think John's the guy to do it.
1: Coach McNulty has plenty of weapons to work with, specifically at the running back position. You know, I think the strongest position on the team, you have maybe four, even five guys, you could say, who can handle the rock. I think it's one of the best. Them together is one of the best units in the Big Ten at that position. And I think John McNulty is going to want to lean on them, especially with the uncertainty surrounding quarterback.
2: And kind of what we talked about with depth, right? I mean, it's it's an area where... You've get you get more than two thirds of your ground production from a year ago back with Pacheco and Blackshear, and now you add in those other guys. You know, K. Rod Adams is explosive as a as a freshman. I think he can have a a real positive impact on this offense at spots. And you mentioned Elijah Barnwell. Uh, I think he has really done a great job of developing here. They have he's a player again. Uh, a word that you don't hear enough about his development. I think he's a player that has developed pretty nicely. And uh, Aaron Young is somebody that uh, can do a lot of different things. I think there's good versatility in this backfield too. You know, you can take Raheem Blackshear, you can put him in the slot, you can put him in the backfield, you can have both he and Isaiah Pacheco in the backfield at the same time. Something they got a chance to do a couple of times last year, but, you know, those those options are, are, are there for them even more this year.
1: You know, we talk about the strength at running back, but at the end of the day, there is is uncertainty at quarterback, as I said before. You know, it's still to be determined which receiver is going to rise above the rest. And the offensive line, it has experience, but it also has youth. With all of those question marks, what would you say is the biggest on offense?
2: You know, question marks, I, I, I think just how... You have a group of guys who are going to perform under the lights. You know, if the wide receivers continue to develop to get better, I think they have. Is the offensive line uh, a group that, you know, again, we talked about depth, uh, a a group that has some depth to it? I think it is. I think you've got guys who have gotten better. I think you've, you know, you look at a guy like Kamal Seymour, who's now got, you know, what, 29 starts, something like that at right tackle. You look at a guy like Michael Maietti, who has been a, a, a consistent player at center over the last year and a half i think these are guys that can help uh, really set the tone for that offensive line and i think you know looking at it from a standpoint of question marks i don't know that i look at it and think well this is a real problem or that isn't i don't really know i think the offense as a whole until you really see them perform you know, really, the whole thing is a is a question mark. You know, meaning the, you know, the team in general. I think that's the case for any team. I think you have to look at it and say that um, until you see your players uh, in the pressurized spots, you don't know how they're going to react. So it'll be interesting to see.
1: So let's talk about the quarterback position. Chris Ash is keeping the starting quarterback a secret. He says a plan is in place. They know who it is, but it is being withheld from those not in the program. How do you foresee John McNulty and Chris Ash using the quarterback in game one? And do you believe we will potentially see all three uh, in the first game in Art Sidkowski, McLean Carter, and of course, Johnny Langan?
2: Well, I think if things went went well, I, I think that you would see all three. If they went uh, really well, you'd get a chance to see all three. Um, you know, listen, I, as far as who's going to start, these guys have split reps between art and, and McLean. So your guess is as good as mine at this point. I think, um, you know, art's a guy that you have to get some confidence going in. He's, he's, he's a very confident young man. He believes in his abilities. And I think he had a tough first year. And I think from that standpoint, you want to see him go out there and you want to get him a chance to, to get some good reps and to feel good about himself and I think you want to see what McLean can do. I Look, I think if they had their druthers, all three would play this week. But as far as who's going to start, I'm not sure. I I, I honestly think it's going to be, you know, whoever's going to play, it's really going to be more interesting to see whoever's going to play the most. In other words, if, if whoever starts is playing well, uh, there's no reason to make a change. If whoever starts isn't, then... You go, you take a look at it, and, and you see whoever you have the most confidence in at the moment. I mean, I know that's... It, it, I don't mean for it to be a cop-out, I just don't know the answer to the question <laughs> yet. Until we, like everybody else, till we see it Friday night.
1: Defensively last year, there was obvious improvement in season once Chris Ash became even more involved than he was before. Now, key pieces come back, like Mike Tverdov, Avery Young, Tyshawn Fogg, Tyreek Maddox-Williams, they all return to help lead the defensive unit... Would you say the defense, comparing to special teams and offense, is the strongest of the three units this year for Rutgers?
2: Yeah, listen, they played a lot better down the stretch of last season defensively. You know, that I, I, I mean, I think you look at some of those games down the stretch and you, you realize that they, they've got plenty of uh, chances to, to win some games, including, you know, at the very end against Michigan State. I think um, when you look at the defense um, – you have to feel good about the linebacking core. I think you have to feel good about corner. You know, you move Damon Hayes back to corner this year. Um, he did a nice job at safety last year. He's been a corner before. I think he'll be good. You know, you mentioned uh, Avery Young. You know, you've got a guy like Trey Avery as well. And, and I, a guy that I'm excited about is Malik Dixon uh, at safety. I think he's somebody that, you know, if he's in there, he's got a chance to do some to do some really good things. And, you know, on the D line, uh, we saw a couple of guys play really well last year. We saw Ellen Lomore play really well. I think with CJ on back this year, that'll add some depth at that, at that Jack position, at that hybrid defensive end linebacker spot, they get some pressure on the quarterback. And, you know, um, I, I think overall, you know, I look at the defense, I think it'll be pretty good. Uh, I don't know about, you know, if it's one of those situations where they're going to be relying on quickness because of the physicality of the Big Ten. You know, can they hold up physically uh, with some of the offenses that they're going to be facing? Um, That's always a big question for any team.
1: And with that linebacking core uh, specifically, they bring back a ton of experience with Fogg and Maddox-Williams, among others. Do you believe that that's the group on D that'll be relied on most to really lead Andy Boo's unit?
2: Well, I don't think it's necessarily going to be relied on. I mean, it, it, you know, you look at it and it's got some pretty good experience. And I'd throw Drew Singleton and Ahim Anderson in there too, uh, into the mix. Um, but I think you've got experience at, at, at all three uh, personnel groups on defense. I think you've got experience uh, in the secondary with Hayes and with Young. I think you've got experience with Ellen Moore and Julius Turner and Willington Prevalon on the defensive line and Tverdov, who played so well as a freshman last year and I'm just so excited to see him even more this year. Um I don't know that I would point to one unit and say they're relying the most on that. I I think they're a group of guys that for the most part has played a lot of football together and that's what's got me encouraged about it is that, you know, the experience only leads to better play.
1: So let's switch back over to the offense, and look, people can say what they want about our struggles last year, and I think if he were to sit this year, it would certainly help him grow to just watch and learn for a full season, but the skill positions last year, specifically the receivers, also struggled with drops and getting separation. In the group of wideouts that Rutgers has, who are you looking at to step up and separate themselves as either Sikowskis, Carters, Langans, big weapons, and of course their security blankets?
2: Well, I think they have really good depth at the position now too young and older. Um, I'm looking for Bo Melton to, to bust out. You know, this, this is I think an important year for Bo. I'm looking for Shaman Jones to bust out as well. These are two guys that um, you know, you've seen flashes from, but you know, listen, there's no doubt that they gotta, they gotta be better. They gotta find better ways to get open. They gotta get the separation. Uh, they gotta give whoever's a quarterback an opportunity And, but I also think you've got younger guys too, guys like Isaiah Washington, who I think can help them down the field. He could be a deep threat. Um, You know, they lost Montario Hunt to a torn ACL. He's somebody that um, as a freshman, I think they looked at and thought maybe he can contribute. So that hurt a little bit. But um, I, you know, I look at these uh, receivers and that's an area where you want to see the growth. You know, I think a lot of people look at the quarterback play last year and the natural instinct is to blame the quarterback. Um, I think there are times where all three facets, whether it's the blocking, the quarterback, or uh, the receivers, were playing a big role in that too.
1: This team, as we've been saying offensively, obviously, is strongest at the running back position. Black shear and Isaiah Pacheco return. We have heard great things about Aaron Young, Karon Adams, and others in camp How dynamic do you think this group could be with all the talent it has? And how excited are you to see how Coach Ash and Coach McNulty deploy all these weapons that they have in the backfield?
2: Well, we know you have some explosive guys, and that's exciting. Um, You know, I want to see what Raheem Blackshear, how they're going to use him this year. Um, I went back and did the math, and he averaged 20 touches a game last season when you included... Uh, 10 kick returns that he had during the year you know i think they would want that number to go up you know i i would think that they want that to be you know 22 to 25 something like that uh you know john realizes that he's got guys i mentioned the word explosive that can do things in space and you have to find a way to get them the ball in space and uh that's what I'm curious to see, how are they going to do that? Is it going to be on bubble screens? Is it going to be on end arounds? Is it going to be on wide receiver, a uh, little over the middle screens? You know, all different kinds of uh, looks to try to get them the football. That That's what's got me uh, very interested to see how they deploy them because they do, um, they do have guys that are capable of making plays uh, when they get the ball in their hands.
1: Chris, a couple more before I let you go. You know, Rutgers fans grew impatient during last season and are expecting significant improvement this year, both on the field and, of course, in their win loss record. But to you, what is significant improvement? What does their record have to be? What has to happen for you at the end of this year to say this team got back on track in their progression under Chris Ash?
2: You know, obviously you have to win more games, but you have to be in a lot of these games. You have to be. Not just competitive. You have to be very competitive in a lot of these games. Um, and I think they're going to be. I, I honestly do. I think last year was a very difficult year for a lot of these guys, but I think they learned a lot from it. And I, I would say there's there's definitely a positive vibe going on right now. Um, in a Big Ten, it's impossible to put the number on it, but um, – you know, all I can say is it's kind of like you, you, one of those things where, you know, they, they win four or five games, you know, maybe get to six somehow. But if they don't, you also look at a team that was hanging in there in a lot of spots. And, you know, they were, they, you could just see the market improvement with how they stacked up against these other teams. And I think that to me, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty easy for a. for the the fan base to see uh, if this, you know, that this team has improved and that they have grown and that they have gotten depth. And um, listen, you can't win one or two games this year. You obviously can't do that. Um, But I'm hesitant to put a number on it around five or six. I think that'd be great. Um, But I think you have to just see that they are um, they're in the majority of the games, most of the games, you're obviously playing some top competition in this country, but you have to be right there. You have to be able to, to knock on the door, to be able to get an upset or two, that kind of thing. And, and really put yourself in a position where it's not a question about whether or not the program has improved.
1: Last one, Chris, I think what really hurt last year for Rutgers was the team's poor start. You beat Texas state at home pretty handily uh, but then you had losses to Ohio State in Columbus. You have a loss uh, at Kansas, and then a loss at home to Buffalo. Uh, you started 1-3, and three and you were already behind the eight ball. How important is it for this team, looking at the month of September overall, to, at worst, start 2-2, two and two, and just to bring some positivity into October, and, of course, then into Big Ten play?
2: Well, I mean, listen, I think 2-2 two and two would be would be good through those four games. But um, I I think you hit on something that's more important and that's that positivity. It's the the positive mentality that things are moving in the right direction, that guys are feeling good about where they are, um, that you, you win the games that you're supposed to win uh, games that you have a chance to win at home. You have to take advantage of that. And um, you steal one or two, um, I th- but I think it's very important, Lance, to get off to a good start. I don't think there's any question that you want to find yourself uh, in a position early in the year where you're not talking about, uh, you know, one of those things of here we go again. And I, I you know, I'd be surprised if that was the case. I, I you know, just from what I've seen, I, th- I think it's an improved group. So we'll see how this plays out. But I, listen, I think you're right. You, you absolutely. I have to look at the month of September and feel like it's an important month to get going.
1: You can hear him this Friday night as Rutgers takes on UMass in the first game of the 2019 season. And you can of course hear him every day from one to 3 PM on WFAN. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving me some of your time. My pleasure,
2: Lance. Thanks for having me.
1: It is time to hear all about this week's opponent and who better to talk to than the voice of UMass football, I am now pleased to be joined by Jay Burnham. Jay, thanks so much for giving me some of your time and, of course, coming on the podcast.
0: Oh, thanks for having me. You might not know this, but I'm actually kind of a big deal in New Jersey, so can't wait to get back, all right? Is, is
1: there a story behind that?
0: Well, I used to work for the, uh, the AA New York Yankees team down in Trenton for three years, so yeah. Yeah. Familiar with it, um, but I've never actually been to SHI Stadium, so looking forward to, to kicking things off on Friday
1: night. Well, we look forward to having you come back to New Jersey. So, Jay, let's talk about this Minutemen team. Walt Bell takes over this UMass program, coming over after spending a year as the offensive coordinator with Florida State. With his arrival and how he has put his touch on the program so far, granted in a short time... What is the general feel around the program from fans, and is there kind of a general sense of hope and optimism from them?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, not to get too deep into the weeds of the history here for for UMass, but um, you know, in the transition to the FBS level, I mean, this is a program that won a national championship in 1998 as an FCS team, and then went to the national title in 2006. The struggle to FBS uh, maybe had to do with some some poor decision making along the way. Now they feel like they've got things churning in the right direction, and that's thanks to the previous coach, uh, Mark Whipple, who's now the offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh, and he actually put together one of the best offenses uh, in FBS last season for UMass. The problem being, unfortunately, the defense here. So uh, clean slate from what head coach Walt Bell has said with all the players on the roster, and really just kind of a. a A new attitude, obviously, with a new coach comes renewed optimism and hope for a program. But um, one of the cool things about Coach Bell and the staff that he has brought here to Amherst is the fact that he has let his practices open to the public. And I know that's probably a stark difference from what Coach Ash and and Rutgers and the media see uh, down in Piscataway, but essentially uh, you get to see him operate on a daily basis and how he's able to orchestrate all of his players in sync. And so one of his big things is, uh, you know, no wasted time, Hufford, hustle, effort, and all the other sort of coach-speak things we hear. But uh, he's really put that into place here for UMass, and I'm eager to see kind of how that translates to, you know, the outcome on the field. Uh, The problem being is that you lost a lot of your powerful Um, players from a year ago and we'll see how he's able to kind of plug those pieces in but all things considered you know he had a short window to recruit um, into the signing day of this year and then this upcoming season he's got I think 16 or 17 guys already that have sort of verbally committed and guys that are three-star athletes which is um, something that certainly you'll take uh for where the umass program is and there's a lot of excitement and a lot of uh, buzz around uh, what's happening here at umass
1: you know i remember chris ash's first year coming to ruckers there really were no expectations uh he had to rebuild he had to build a new culture bring in new players what about in year one for walt bell what are the general expectations you know this team went four and eight uh last season they lost a lot of experience at key positions and of course, a new culture, like I said before, with Chris Ash, a new culture for Walt Bell has to be installed. What expectations have the fans put on this new regime in its first year?
0: Yeah, that's a good. That's a good question. You know, and I think when you look at the schedule, it, it could be rather challenging, um, especially as you and I sit here talking on Monday. Uh, for that matter, neither team has announced a starting quarterback. What we do know is that each team will have one guy under center to begin <laughs> the, uh, the, the game on Friday. We certainly hope um, so.
1: We certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah,
0: let's let's hope that's the let's hope that's the play uh, the play anyway. Um, but here's the thing: and actually, if your fans are really into kind of getting a taste of college football and just hearing you know what the opposition is we've just done a couple of uh facebook live conversations with our athletic director Ryan Bamford who came from Georgia Tech back in 2016 and then Walt Bell uh head coach who as you mentioned came from Florida State and those guys sort of outline You know, maybe a little bit of the expectations being, you know, playing hard, being consistent, improving, of course, all those things. If you ask the fan base, they're probably expecting maybe two wins. You know, this is a team that won four a year ago, but trying to take those strides to the next level. And I think one of the interesting items of being an FBS independent when you're not Army and when you're not Uh, Notre Dame and take this with a grain of salt because this is my first season uh, here in fact this is my third week uh, really on campus (laughs) in a full-time capacity but what the athletic director Ryan Bamford has done and he deserves a lot of credit is the fact that they've been able to establish a very interesting schedule and I'll give you a case in point like for instance last year Georgia had UMass as the quote-unquote tune-up game heading into their uh, showdown at the end of the season I think with Alabama um What that did for this program, and UMass is actually able to stay relatively competitive, and they've been able to do that against multiple SEC schools over the past four or five years. It showcases guys on maybe a higher plane, and who knows, maybe even led to the rising stock and status of one of the wide receivers here, Andy Isabella, who was taken in the second round of the NFL draft a year ago. So, uh, you know, I think maybe some people see UMass projected, projected, predicted at the end of the you know 130 FBS teams but they've got guys in the NFL they've got a second round pick um, that's now going to play for the Arizona Cardinals and they've been able to do that because they've been able to showcase and highlight guys in those tough you know, buy games, essentially. So mixing some of those games with games that you feel maybe can be winnable. Look, they've got Akron on the schedule, which has a new coach. They've got Coastal Carolina on the schedule, which has a new regime. And they've got Charlotte on the schedule as well. Those feel like three games that you at least uh, should have a a fair shake in. And then kind of down the road, you know, they've got BYU at the end of the year. They beat Liberty, which made the jump a couple of years ago, but they've got, you know, more money than pretty much anybody else outside of notre dame so they'll be competitive very quickly at this level uh so it feels like there's a good mixture of teams that they can be competitive against and punched up from their weight class and teams that they can hold their own against and win at their weight class and so you know the hope is that they can beat the four win mark that they had a year ago
1: so let's look at the offense as a whole you know obviously that unit lost a lot andy isabella was drafted uh i believe in the second round at receiver Andrew Ford, Ross Comis at quarterback, Marquise Young at running back. How has Walt Bell and his staff tried to fill those voids considering the UMass offense was really able to put up some points against quality opponents, 28 against Georgia, 42 against South Florida, two quality opponents that the UMass offense was able to score against. Who are they looking at to fill the holes that you know are now empty uh, going forward this season?
0: Yeah, and in fact, if you go kind of over the 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 macro there, you know they averaged what thirty three points per game, which is thirty fifth in the nation. I know Rutgers fans are screaming for some (laughs) kind of offense uh, like that. Um, You know, here's the thing: one, the I'll I'll touch upon the the quarterback battle at the moment. Um, As it stands, they got two Jersey guys. By the way, Uh, Randall West, who's a senior, along with Andrew Brito who's a community college transfer, a Paramus Catholic kid, who uh, by his own admission didn't really play football up until his senior year at the university. Those two guys, along with the returner, Michael Curtis, who was a part of a kind of a three-tier quarterback system last year. um, Your guess is as good as mine who takes the snaps, but I think you know, you might see a few of those guys kind of get into the mix over the course of, of, of that game and the first couple of the games of the season. Uh, West is an interesting guy. He is Mr. UMass um, from Lawrenceville, New Jersey, uh, sort of like hung around the program, got an invite, uh, is the best attitude kid you'll ever see the basketball team a couple of years ago needed pieces and he walked on (laughs) to the basketball team. So he's been on the hoops team now the past two seasons. And whenever our head coach for basketball wants kind of a shot in the arm in terms of toughness and integrity and playing the game the right way, he'll put Randall West in there. Very smart. Um, So I think he's probably going to see some snaps on Friday. Andrew Brito is an interesting character because he's listed at 5'10". He's got a big arm. And uh, your Jersey folks, he said that he's played, I think with maybe 10 guys that are currently on the Rutgers roster. Um, He's shorter than you would like for a quarterback. And I think that's maybe led to him being overlooked a little bit. And so he's eager to prove something. He's been interesting to watch. He's also a guy that has mobility. And then Curtis who held his own last year was actually a guy that had committed coming out of high school to a Ivy league school. Uh, Long story short, um, some sort of uh, academic snafu happened, and uh, not to his uh, fault, but to his high school's fault, and he ended up going to community college, and then UMass picked him up. So you've got three interesting characters there at quarterback, and I'll tell you this, one of the things that head coach Walt Bell said about you know losing your prime receiver, the best receiver in college football last year by you know statistical measures and a Blitnickoff Award finalist and all those good things, is that now you have the door open for some guys that maybe were underlooked or underutilized because you had that one bright shining star. And so I think the feeling is from those who break down UMass roster and um, abilities, uh, you know, grouping standpoints, feel that the wide receiver position is probably going to be. Uh, the most adequate position for head coach bell in his first year
1: you know while the offense had success the defense really struggled we talked about the ability to score the defense i believe gave up close to if not over 40 points a game last year for umass you know in addition they lose brighton Barr and bryce McAllister, two defensive stalwarts really the two leaders on defense uh last season who is walt bell leaning on to lead that defense is it Chinedu obana isaiah rogers who are the leaders of that unit
0: yeah, that's a, good, that's a good question. They also lost Lee Moses, who is one of the better defensive backs. Um, so here's the bad news. You lose those players who uh, were really heart and soul type defensive players. The good news is, as you referenced, they allowed 43 points per game last year. So you kind of ask yourself, well, how much worse could it be? <laughs> um, and I think maybe there's also a schematic standpoint where things just weren't clicking for whatever it was Um, and the former coaching staff head coach Mark Whipple is considered an offensive genius and in fact he's going to do wonders at Pittsburgh but maybe there was a lack uh, for whatever reason on the defensive side so uh, they got a grad transfer from Penn State his name is Jarvis Miller he's a Suffield Connecticut uh, native, He's a guy that saw some time over the course of his four years at Penn State. They've got another guy that uh, grad transfer from uh, Morgan, Morgantown, a West Virginia product that uh, should be in the secondary. So Jordan Adams is his name. So I feel like from a defensive standpoint, Isaiah Rogers, the senior, is the fastest guy on the team. I'm pretty sure he'll play in the NFL. They've got a guy, Joseph Norwood, who was a freshman last year who made great strides in the secondary him, Rodgers, and uh, Jordan Adams should put together a formidable back end. I think really the question is can they get enough pressure on the quarterback or maybe can they scheme a different way when you're undersized uh, like they are defensively. And so getting a rush has been a difficult um, situation for this team. And so we'll see what you know, head coach Walt bell does one of the names that we should mention here is azar abdul rahim uh who's the defensive coordinator who is uh, really considered a top recruiter was at maryland um those uh, some of the guys on, on your staff as, as you get you guys coming in as well and so i'm curious to see kind of how he is able to schematically work with this defensive line and the linebackers to, to hopefully at least apply some pressure on Rutgers.
1: You know, you talk about the secondary not being too much of an issue with grad transfers coming in as well as players they brought back. The UMass defense, however, last year only had 10 sacks and Brighton Barr, who is now gone, as I said before, accounted for four of those. Someone, again, as I said, is no longer with the team and those four sacks and more need to be replaced. Is rushing the passer the biggest weakness to you on this defense or do they lack in another area that can really burden that unit going forward this year?
0: as you know you know coaches don't like to tip their hand as to who's going to be playing where um and and who's going to get the snaps i will say this you know they've got guys uh one of the focal points this offseason has been getting guys in the weight room and really beefing them up not only from a size standpoint but also from an agility standpoint and they've done a good job with that i mean they've got guys they've got i guess what you would call dudes right um big guys jake visco is a guy that uh can can come off what they call the, I think you guys call it, the jack position Mm -hmm, on the defensive end. Uh, They call it the buck position here, I believe. He started all 12 games, had five tackles for a loss last year. And and they've got some speed at the linebacker position as well. Um, And we'll see if uh, one of the guys I would look for is a Canadian by the name of Tyrus LeBeau, who should fill into that, um, I would think, maybe middle linebacker position um, or will linebacker position like you saw bar last year flying around the field. Uh, so they've got guys, I think the question that, um, both Bell and, and, uh, athletic director, Ryan Bamford have publicly stated is look, do we have the depth to be able to play the way we want to play, which is a fast paced type of game? And two, do we have the type of depth to sort of sustain any, any injuries? So um, when you're looking at, you know, teams at this tier, I think those are two big questions. Can you stay healthy and can you rotate guys in on a consistent basis that could spell your frontline players? Um, but, I, you know, I, I, it's it's going to be real interesting because I think both these teams have so many question marks. Um, you know, I, I don't know if anybody really knows what to expect on Friday night.
1: Jay, a couple more before I let you go. You know, this is a big opportunity for the Minutemen, new coach trying to set a new tone And even though Rutgers struggled last year, it's still a non-Power 5 team, an independent really, heading to a Big Ten school in a game that Rutgers is favored to win by, I believe, at least two scores. Do you see the players looking at it like that as a big opportunity to make a statement as they begin this new era and this new regime under Walt Bell?
0: Yeah, you know, and I would probably say if this were last year, this team would have a a pretty good chance of, of winning. This game, I should say that I feel they have a good chance of of winning on Friday as well, but even more so last year just because you had, uh, you know, more of a solidified attack. But uh, there's sort of an underlying tonality that they want to send this message is that the fact that Bell, who I think is an excellent recruiter, along with Azar Abdulrahim, who I mentioned, some of the other members of the staff, have, um, you know, eagerly tried to pull talent from New Jersey in the short amount of time they've been here. And I think that's going to continue. So if they can come down to SHI Stadium and and make a statement, uh, if it's not a win, if it's a close game at least, and play an exciting up-tempo type of game, which I think is sort of one of the things that Coach Bell will use in his recruiting tactics, saying, look, this is the fun style that we play and you're going to want to be a part of this. Uh, Can you kind of try and get some guys that uh, have those jersey ties to commit to playing up in Amherst? And I I think the answer to that is yes. So, uh, you know, there's there's more on the line, I think, for, for UMass than just winning the game or being competitive, but it's also making a statement in a fertile recruiting ground.
1: Jay, last one before I let you go. What does UMass have to do to come out with a victory? What's kind of the recipe for success against that? Uh, for them, excuse me, if they want to go to SHI Stadium and pull off the upset on Friday night?
0: Well, I think maybe you're looking at they could take one or two of those interceptions that you guys threw last year, <laughs> and um, you know, put that into the mix. Obviously, create a couple of the short field situations. You know, um that would be beneficial. I think you're really going to have to stack the box on Blackshear defensively. Uh, is it Pacheco? I haven't gotten the presentation, yes, Pacheco. The presentation yes, Pacheco. Guide yet, but he is... Uh, I mean, there's two of the top running backs um, that you'll see, uh, this team will see this year. Uh, so how can you kind of bottle those two up? And I think from an offensive perspective, and this isn't me talking, this is more the narrative I've heard from uh, fans chirping on Twitter is essentially... Uh, Walt Bell, if you look at his offenses, they've been very high tempo. They've been up pace. He'll spread it out. Um, can you string together enough first downs at that tempo to keep your defense off the field long enough? And so I think, uh, you know, best case scenario for UMass, this is going to sound so trite. They win the coin toss. They take the ball and they put together a 14-yard touchdown or field goal drive to start the game, set the tone. And maybe, you know, put Rutgers on their heels a little bit. And I think that's doable because, you know, you haven't had time to scheme against what you don't know what you're going to see, which is an offense that you don't have any tape on. And I think that's certainly doable, too, because they've got a lot of speed at the wide receiver position. And they've got a couple of running backs that I think are going to hold their own on top of the fact that they've got a really solid left side of the offensive line. Um, you know, I think maybe Rutgers will take a look and say, hey, Rutgers fans, maybe say, hey, here's an independent team that, you know, hasn't had a lot of success. Well, you know what, they've got five guys that are 300 pounds on the offensive line and a tight end that looks like he could play Thor in the next taping of the Marvel <laughs> film. So, you know, I think, I think there's definitely size and, and intimidation that UMass could come out with. Plus they got some pretty snazzy new uniforms that we just released today.
1: Jay Burnham, the voice of UMass football. Jay, thanks so much for coming on and joining me on the podcast. I want to thank both Chris Carlin and Jay Burnham for joining me on the podcast. I really enjoy the weekly previews that we do because it's great to get insight on both Rutgers and their opponent that week. This UMass team certainly should not be overlooked. I know people may be marking this as a win, new head coach, new regime, new era for UMass football, but we saw last year that overlooking an opponent can lead to lots of negatives. The Minutemen lost pieces on offense, most importantly Andy Isabella as well as a couple quarterbacks and a running back, but they still return a formidable group led by an up-and-coming first-year head coach in Walt Bell. For Rutgers, quarterback uncertainty remains, we know that, but the weapons around that position have certainly improved. This team has more depth both offensively and defensively this year than they did last year, and we know they are aware of what happened last season. Chris Carlin said it best, this team has to win more games and be very competitive in the ones that they don't. One, two, even three wins is not going to cut it this season. This team needs to show significant improvement or else the fan base will grow restless very quickly. But as I said at the beginning, this game Friday night, it presents an opportunity. If Rutgers takes advantage, they can rid the sour taste Of last year and start out on the right foot. Taking advantage of what is in front of them on Friday night would silence any negatives, and it would be a much welcome sight to begin the 2019 season for Rutgers football here on the Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at
0: OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.